What's up, guys? It's the Enforcer, ECW Original, C.W. Anderson, and you're watching the WZWA Network. And the reason I watch it is because I'm an Anderson. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow. And C.W. Anderson. Sean Oliver. My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Now get on the... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show here on the WZWA Network, the WZWA Network podcast. And I'm very excited to be with you all once again. I'm pumped up, man. This is a a bucket list interview for yours truly, especially after interviewing the likes of Lodi and Chili Willy in the last uh, year. So uh, this is, uh, I'm just so excited because I've got so many questions. He's a former NWA and MLW World Tag Team Champion, and he was heavyweight champion of 14 different wrestling companies. And tonight, for the first time as host, I'm not wearing a hat because, you know, as you all know, I shaved my head in October. It's the first time I'm debuting it because I wanted to debut my bald head with my bald brother here today, the one and only C.W. Anderson. How you going, my friend? What's going on, man? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. And um, just uh, really excited to talk to you about uh, your time and your journey in life. Um, and the usual question we usually start off with is how you became a wrestling fan. But I watched a little interview you did with Tommy Dreamer and found out that you didn't like wrestling uh, growing up. Uh, you got into baseball. You were a fantastic baseball player. And after that didn't work out for whatever reason, you ended up finding your way into the professional wrestling business, even though you didn't really like it. How did that all come about? That's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how things transpired because my entire life, I thought I was going to be, you know, a major league baseball player and it, everything started unfolding to where that was going to come true. And then luck had it, it just blew up in my face, actually blowing out your arm basically oh. blew up in my face. So, um, yeah, you're right. I didn't like wrestling growing up at all. And, you know, yesterday I posted something on Instagram and, you know, we'll probably do this later, but anything I do on social media is at, at ECW Anderson. But yesterday I got to visit um, Wake Forest University over in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where I wrestle a lot and visit their pitching lab. And it was special because my brother got to go with me, who is a big baseball mark like I am. And, you know, he and I have been really close for years and he's actually the one that got me to liking professional wrestling. Um, I used to love, you know, I grew up in the, I was a teenager in the eighties. So, cause I was born in 71, just turned 50 last week. And in July of 1985, he was watching, getting ready to watch a wrestling show. And he says, sit down with me, watch this one wrestling match because I didn't like it. Why he kept asking me every week, watch the show. We watched the show. It was the NWA because they filmed in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I live or used to live. And I was like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to. So I give in to him one July. And he said, sit down, watch this one show, one match. And if you don't like it, I'll never ask you again. So I sat down with him and it was the Rock and Roll Express against the Russians, Ivan Koloff and Crusher <laughs> Khrushchev. And uh, the, Rus- the Russians got beat by Rock and Roll and he and I would jump around like kids. I mean, we were kids and I was hooked. But baseball still being my first love, I still watched wrestling, but there was never even a thought I was going to be a professional wrestler. And then when that blew up in my face, I was 
at a McDonald's one day while I was working. I wasn't working at McDonald's, but came in to eat. And there was a friend of mine that was there that I actually wrestled with just a little bit when I was 16 and 17 in the backyard. And he was doing local independence then. So I was telling him, you know, doing this. And he said, well, I'm doing this wrestling. We're wrestling in this, in the same town. He said, won't you come Saturday, man, to the show and I'll get in the ring, you know, roll around and see if you like it. I got there early, got in the sh- you know, ring with him and rolled around and man, I was hooked. You couldn't get me out of the ring. And it just kind of snowballed from there. <laughs> it always snowballs for everyone. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing I also found interesting, and I'm sorry if you get asked the same questions that you always it's get fine. asked, but um, you know, every, every interview is like going to be a little bit different because some people that watch your podcast don't watch dreamers or watch anybody yeah. else. So it might be new to somebody. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, you know, like, and I might already know the answer to some things, but it's important for our viewers to learn certain things. Exactly. And be like, why didn't you ask him about how he became an Anderson, Carl? I mean, surely you would have asked him that question. So I have, I would have to do it, obviously. Um, <laughs> uh, Pat and Rocky Anderson, uh, uh, two guys that see you doing your thing, impressed with what you're doing and Lo and behold, the next thing they they're talking about you utilizing the surname Anderson. Could you tell me a little bit about that experience? It was my very first show, December fourth of nineteen ninety-three. Um, I wrestled under a hood, and this was the time about Razor Ramon. You know, he was doing, and so they they called me El Chico. It was you know a local promotion, and it's <laughs> your local indie promotion things. And man, I didn't know any better because you got to realize I never got formally trained until I got to the power plant in ninety. 798 um so yeah it was 98 but they saw me wrestle i wrestled under hood and at the time i didn't have a beard i just had a goatee i look i look more like the big boss man than i did an anderson <laughs> so they saw me wrestle they got me in the back and the promoter his name's jerry kennett uh he said see he goes chris you know we got two guys here that want to talk to you about tagging with them like, all right so they sent me down pat and rocky and pat was telling me that you know, we we run as the Andersons. We got the name from Gene. Uh, we got the permission oh. to use the name. Uh, Rocky's getting ready to retire because at the time, I think Rocky was around my age now, which is 50. Uh, and he said, you know, me being 23, we kind of want to keep the Anderson thing going. Would you like tagging with Pat and becoming an Anderson? Yeah, sure. He said, what you got to do is just think of a three-letter name because it was Pat. You had Arn, Ole, you know, something along those lines. And grow your beard out. And of course, I was already had the receding hairline. So I had that going for me. So the whole, the whole next few weeks, man, I was trying to come up with names. I come up with Ike, Cal. It was just, I couldn't come up with anything. So one night we're at a um, little wrestling TV show and the man that I've kind of grown up with, he was my baseball coach. He actually was one of the wrestling managers. His name was Randy Driver. And I was like, Mr. Randy, I, I can't come up with anything for an Anderson. I don't know of anything. He said, well, just use your initials and call you CW. I just kind of stuck. Right. That's really cool. Um, wow. So um, that's how it all came about. Um, and I was, you know, doing my research and I'd seen that you had met one Ollie Anderson and didn't uh, enjoy the experience. What happened when you met Ollie Anderson? I mean, this is past post ECW. I was in Japan okay. by then and their uh, high spots wrestling was bringing uh, only in to do a sign and, and to do something with me for me to get permission, you know, the blessing from him to use the right. Anderson name because up till then I'd never met Arn or Oli. And so I came, I had just gotten back from Japan either that morning or the night before. I don't remember, but it was like within 24 hours. 
drove down to Charlotte to do the show. I come up, I introduced myself. I said, Hey, all I said, I'm Chris Wright. I run as, you know, CW Anderson. He goes, what's your name? I said, Chris Wright. I run as the other Anderson CW. He goes, Oh, so you're him. I went, yes, sir. <laughs> he goes, okay. And went back to his conversation. Totally ignore me. By that time, one of my friends came up and, you know, I give him the dap, the big hug. And he looks at me and goes, Jesus Christ, out in this business and everybody's turning into faggots. <laughs> like, Damn, it's kind of rough. So he was supposed to get in the ring, give me a blessing. And, and this is when he was peddling that shitty book of his. And yeah. um, he didn't want to do, he didn't want to do anything. He just wanted to sit at his table. I remember introducing him to my girlfriend and he's like, I don't give a shit, buy my book. Oh God. So at the end of the night, I cut a promo on him, you know, tell him how, you, you know, you took, you could only take the Anderson name to here. I'm going to take it up to here. You can either stand up and be a man and shake my hand or I, I, something along those lines. And he stood up and gave me the thumbs up. And that was it. But if, God, it was such a miserable, he's such a miserable human being. <laughs> that sucks so bad. All those years, yeah. you finally meet that guy. And uh, he ends up, it reminds me, we interviewed Big Sal. Uh, and he told a similar story of meeting a, uh, Vader, who was his idol. And uh, he was very mm -hmm. disappointed in that experience too. Um that leads me to my next question and we'll get back to the early days after this, but I wanted to get this Anderson thing out the way early. Um, a conversation with Arn. Did you ever get to finally meet Arn and have that conversation with him about being an Anderson? I, I did. Um, you know, Arn, some of the stuff that uh, I talked to him about, he, he doesn't remember because when I was used to going in after ECW and in between Japan, I was going to WWE and doing little shows for them. And he worked out with me for like an hour and a half one day on being a better Anderson. And it was me and Kid Cash he worked out with. And then he was my agent when I was doing the whole Disney-fied ECW that WWE ran. Yeah. And he mentioned one day, he told Scott Armstrong, he's like, man, if, CW got a, if Vince gives CW a chance, he'd be the most over person in this company. Definitely the most over heel because of my work rate. Uh, but, you know, I'd, I've got to see him a couple times. I just saw him at the last WrestleCade one we had year before last and got to talk to him because before that he had done a podcast and somebody mentioned me in a question and he put me over and said, I'm definitely deserving of being in the name. He awesome. said he'd never seen me work, but he, from what he heard, I was a good hand. And, and uh, Conrad that does it with him said, you know, CW is great. Um, so then I got to sit and talk with him at WrestleCade and he, you know, he was, that's the whole thing. Oli was such a miserable person and Arn's on the other end of the spectrum. Arn's just yeah. a, an amazing, amazing guy. And he's one of the guys I would have loved to be able to ride, you know, ride the roads with to learn from. Um, but, you know, he's given me his blessing. And that's, to me, there's nothing better than getting Arn Anderson's blessing. Yeah, that's 100%, bro. You know, you can work yeah. your whole career and never win a WWE World Championship, but I would say getting the blessing of Arn Anderson to be an Anderson is on the same level as far as yeah, I'm definitely. concerned because there's not many as uh, great as he is and ever was. Um, I wanted to ask you about the Anderson Academy. I believe this is 1996. Uh, you start yeah. training people to wrestle, even though you haven't actually formally been trained, you trained yourself this is crazy. I know there was a lot of guys that, that, that were in the same boat. Um, you got any stories you can tell about those days and training the likes of uh, the show's good friend, Lodi and Chili Willie? Man, you know, Lodi, Lodi was probably one of the second people I ever trained. Uh, his partner being Toad Kurt was like one of the first. They just, the promoters of that, promo, uh, the promoters of that uh, little indie promotion I worked for saw something in me and thought I could train people because I had a, a verse way of 
you could say, dumbing it down, speaking common sense to people to make them understand certain moves, certain things. So I started doing it. Just didn't know any better. Uh, we trained in this, like, uh, this little tobacco barn. No, it was a it was a flower nursery, and it was a barn that the ceiling was so low you couldn't even body slam somebody without their feet hitting it. And it was nothing but bags of fertilizer all the way around this ring. It was it was ridiculous. And it had a couple of vintage cars sitting in there, and that's how we trained. Uh, no heat, no AC, nothing. So it was freezing-ass cold in the winter and balls hot, which it was okay because it made you – it toughened you up. If you were used to that stuff, and that ring was harder than damn concrete. Uh, so that's how we trained a couple nights a week. Got in there, got with training with uh, Lodi for a little while. Uh, then, you know, we moved to a little different place, a little upscale place, and that's when Chili Willie come along and, and ran him and trained him. And I've trained a lot of guys, man, that's run that, around the Mid-Atlantic that are top-notch wrestlers on the Mid-Atlantic. And some guys have uh, – done little jobs for WWE, WCW, or some have been at ECW, uh, just little jobs here and there, but my two most known are Chili Willie and Lodi. They were fun times, being able to train and give back. I just like I like training. And uh, wasn't getting paid a whole lot, didn't care. It was just being in the ring and enjoying it. That's awesome, man. Um, I uh, So I did uh, find out a bit about your experience at the WCW Power Plant, uh, 1998, uh, from what I read in my research, 18 months in the power plant and you're not put on TV once, not even on Worldwide or Saturday night, which is uh, mind boggling to me. Um, tell me a little bit about that, you know, and and I know obviously you have the drill sergeant there, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker uh, running things. And I know uh, it probably wasn't the easiest uh, thing to get through. No, it was three, it was three days of hell. You know, I'll tell people if they tell me that, you know, we'll give you a multi-million dollar contract to go through it again. I'm like, nah, that's okay. I'm good. It was freaking miserable. Sarge was in your face screaming. He tried to make me quit several times. I mean, you start at eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning on a third, was it Wednesday or Thursday? It was a Wednesday. And you till four, four thirty in the afternoon, you have a little 20 minute break and that's it. The rest of the time you're doing Hindu squats, push-ups, sprinting outside, running the ropes, bumps and it's a constant thing back and forth back and forth and by the end of the day you've done 2,000 squats 700 push-ups you sprinted for an hour uh it, it was a brutal three days once I got through those three days because 30 35 people started on a Wednesday with me at the end of the first day there was five left and at the end of this thing was, was four and I was the only one that ever made something of it um but once I got through it and came back Sarge was a completely different person. And I was one of the only ones there that had been formerly in the ring. Most of them were still learning. So Sarge would watch my matches from the weekend and critique them when I'd go back. And then he would give me challenges to do stuff that I screwed up on, or he wanted to see, you know, see me do better. So then it got to a point where he would be training, been in the ring with like Goldberg and he'd have me over in another ring, working out with guys like Elix Skipper, Lash LaRue, Chuck Palumbo, Mike Sanders, Natural Born Thrillers. I was showing them guys things. Uh, and plus, we were, you know, learning this stuff ourselves. So it got frustrating because all these guys are on contract, and I'm here trying to learn, and I'm not on contract. And I could, yeah. you know, I was already more advanced. So it was it was a very frustrating thing. And then I think the final straw was when J.J. Dillon and Paul Orndorff came to watch us all wrestle to see what the kind of talent they had. 
And my buddy Toad or Kurt and I wrestled and tore it up, man. I mean, even Brad Armstrong, when we got done with the match, because the boys were popping for the stuff we were doing, and Brad's like, man, y'all were doing some straight ECW shit. <laughs> uh, and JJ, JJ and Paul told me, he's like, you know, I really didn't have a look. I, they really didn't think I could make it far in WCW because they were more of a cosmetic company, and they thought my wrestling was okay, but not great. So I could stay here for what I, you know, for as long as I wanted, but they really wouldn't have anything for me in the future. So that was a very, very disappointing uh, thing to hear. Yeah, well, yeah, I think you, you certainly um, threw that back in their face once you went to ECW and uh, and did all the great things that you did there. Um, so you're disappointed by this interaction with J.J. Dillon and Paul Orndorff. Um, how do you go from there to suddenly being in uh, in Philly and and working for ECW? My buddy Toad got it because he was tag partners with Lodi on the end yeah. for a long time. So he got a tryout at ECW one Sunday. You know, Lodi asked a favor for Raven because Lodi, of course, was Raven's sign guy. Raven asked Dreamer, and Dreamer got him the tryout. So the Saturday before, Toad and I were in South Carolina wrestling the public enemy, and he had a tryout. And he was like, man, I'm going down and had a tryout. Once you come down, politic a little. Maybe you can get in the ring. If you don't, at least you can get your name out there. I didn't really want to. I'm such an introvert that I'm so shy around people that I didn't want to do it. And he drugged me down there. He drugged me down and made me do it uh, or made me show up with him. And so Toad had his little tryout and I was on the outside talking to Simon Diamond and Carino because, you know, Carino and I were really good friends and knew Simon Diamond from being around the area as well. Um, so Toad got through with his tryout and Nova, who was running them, looks at me and goes, Chris, you got your gear? Well, I said, yeah, it's in the car. He said, well, go get it. So I run to the truck, get my gear, get it on, get in the ring with Simon, do a little five minute deal, get done. And Simon's like, man, you got some great timing. Uh, really enjoyed looking at it. I was like, thank you. I get outside. And by that time I hear somebody look at Bill Alfonso who was standing there with us. He said, Fonzie, get that ball guy back in the ring. So when I look out there, it's Paul Heyman sitting with Taz and the Dudleys. They're sitting out in, in the blue, in the uh, seats watching this. So I get back in the ring and he's running guys through me for about like the next hour, hour and a half. I'm just having matches and stuff like that. I get done, go in the back, and I'm wiping, you know, getting all the sweat off of me. I'm spitting up blood from where I've hit the turnbuckles and I've bumped so hard. Um, so as I'm cleaning myself up, the door opens in the bathroom and I look over and it's Paul Heyman. And he walks straight up to me, sticks his hand and I says, hey, I'm Paul Heyman. It's nice to meet you. I said, hey, Paul, my name's Chris Wright. So it's a pleasure to meet you too. He said, uh, how long have you been wrestling? So I tell him about five, was it five years at the time, five or six years. And uh, he said, where are you wrestling at? I said, I'm at the power plant. And uh, he goes, are you on contract there? I said, no, sir. They told me I didn't really have what it takes. He said, well, what's your wrestling name? And I said, C.W. Anderson. And he and Paul Fasty, he goes, I knew it. He says, you look like Arn. You have the left punch like Arn and a spine buster. He goes, don't wait. He said, the end of the night, don't leave before I speak to you. So I said, yes, sir. So I, he lets me hang out in the back, and I'm standing there talking to Steve. I can't remember who else. I think it was Steve. Jim Mono comes up to me as the doors are opening and the fans are coming in. He says, Paul wants to see you in the back. So I go back in the dressing rooms and Paul is sitting there talking to Vito LaGrasa, who's Stolfron Crush and uh, Danny Dorn and Roquel introduces me to him, tells me I'm tagging with Vito. Welcome to ECW. We're third match. Wow. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You, you proved yourself right then and there. And the, 
the the head honcho believed in you from the outset. Uh, that's awesome, man. Uh, so uh, how were you received by the ECW fans in that first match uh, out there teaming with Vito against uh, Doring and Roadkill? Um, and, and it seemed like from my research, you worked with Doring and Roadkill a lot in your first few months in the company. Married, married to Danny and, and Roadkill for a, for a long time. Even when I started feuding with Tommy, I was married to Danny, which I was okay with that. I love working with Danny and Roadkill, man. They were awesome. The fans, you know, they're typical ECW fans. Who the hell is this? You suck. Mm-hmm. Once they got my name, CW, you don't belong here. You're not going to make it. But just, you're just typical ECW fans. <laughs> you just got to, you got to have thick skin being there. And, you know, some of the things during during my time there, especially in the early early days, when fans would tell you something, it like sting you on the inside, but you couldn't let them see that. Yeah. Uh, especially when they say you're not going to make it. And you, you know, you, of course, you know, the you suck stuff and you know, you're not a real Anderson. Well, duh, dumbass. None of us, none of us are. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But yeah, it's that I wasn't received. It was a while before I started kind of getting over with the fans. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so another random question I had here, uh, you know, ECW locker room, you, you, you're joining, but luckily you've got your boy Carino there that you already knew uh, and you already knew Simon Diamond. But was there anyone else that you felt like you connected with quickly when you um, were a part of the roster? Uh, Tony DeVito. Uh, he rode with me a few times because I rode by myself. He was on the ring crew. Uh, Danny and Roadkill, because just for the instance that, you know, every show I was pretty much married to them. But I got really close to Tony. Of course, I got really close to all the, the guys like that. But Tony, he rode with me for a, the first month or so on and off. And just Danny and Roadkill were the ones. And, of course, Steve and Simon I was close to. But for the most part, man, I kind of kept to myself and stayed in the corner and just was quiet. Didn't say a word. Because I was just petrified to be in there because it's hell, it's the ECW locker room. Yeah. So <laughs> I wouldn't even put my boots on until they told me I was wrestling that night. <laughs> yeah, well, that's cool, Tony DeVito. Hey, us ball brothers got to stick together, right? Exactly, um, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the new Dangerous Alliance, oh, man, what a great idea. Uh, with Lou E. Dangerously, Billy Wiles and Electra. Um, I love this group. Um, what did you think of the idea and how are they all to work with? Um, it's just, it's brilliant stuff, especially Lou. Did such a great job as, uh, you know, uh, uh, a poor man's poor Lee, um, yeah. but on purpose. Uh Tell me a little yep. bit about those uh, those three. When when it was uh, when the Dudleys left, because Lou was in my traveling clique. It was myself, Louis Dangerously, uh, Jack Victory, Steve Carino, Dreamer, and Francine. They were my little traveling clique. Danny and Chetty were also in there here and there. I remember Lou telling me one night after the Dudleys left, we were at a place called the Dungeon in Atlanta. It was a little bar, hotel, and they said he said, you know, I told Paul and Tommy I wanted to manage you. Because Lou and I were, had gotten really close by then. He's, and they said, well, who do you want to manage? He said, CW. So Bill and I were kind of already tagging together because Bill and I got thrown together by mis- just on a whim one night. And, well, we had some amazing chemistry. And then we were hoping every night Paul would, or Tommy would keep throwing us together, which he kept doing. So it was Tommy's idea to throw the Dangerous Alliance gimmicks on us. And I was any, to have any kind of gimmick put on you at ECW, man, I was ready. But being, you know, the Dangerous Alliance, the rib on Paul and his Dangerous Alliance. And we were kind of a, a joke to begin with. And then we really started getting over as a really good tag team. Love tagging with Bill. Loved having Lou as my manager. We have so many inside jokes and so many ribs that are going on. Then they throw Electra with us. Um, those guys, man, were so much fun to wrestle. You know, then we were wrestling on every night. It was 
Chetty and Nova or Nova and Kid Cash, Danny Doyle and Roadkill. It was one of those, you know, transit, one of those teams. Uh, some night we met Russell H.C. Loke uh, or Tom Marquez. And so, man, they were so much fun. And then Bill and I, you know, we're ball, you know, I say balls and axe were married to us for a little while too. Which yeah, that's right. Kind of yeah. glad I got, a, I'm kind of glad we got away from that because them, them chair shots hurt after a while. <laughs> they sucked. I can feel them when and I but, watch them. <laughs> no, and you know, because Paul, they would get pissed off if you put your hands up, so you had to sit there and take it. And so many of my concussions come from balls as chair shots, and then you get mad at you because you get a concussion. Like, damn, balls, you're a fucking caveman swinging that steel chair as hard as you can swing it. You're murdering us, man. Uh, but he would never great. One, I remember one night he flipped his shit like he was over ecstatic because he barely touched me with the chair hitting it with me. And it molded over my head and I really didn't feel it that much. Nothing like the others. And he was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe that. We were like, see you can idiot. We, we told you you didn't have to murder us with this damn thing. Yeah. yeah there's so many so, chair shots. I've seen him hit over the years where I'm like, Oh, that's uh, that one. Got to... <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, beautiful Billy Wiles is someone that the name doesn't get mentioned enough, you know, uh, do you know how Billy's doing these days? What he, what he's up to? Do you still keep in touch with him? Yeah, I do. I do. You know, I, I talk to Lou a lot. Bill and I exchange a, a message here and there. I, I think he works at CarMax or something like that. He's just, I don't know if he's married, but I know he's engaged. Uh, I haven't met her. Uh, he, he's doing great from, from what I see and what I'm hearing. He'll comment on some of my posts or when some memories come up about he and I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, put some stuff together and talk about that. But man, he, he's doing good. You know, it's amazing the guys I still keep in touch with till today. And I haven't seen him in a long time, but you know, hopefully one sometime if I get back up north, um, I'll get to see him again. Cause you know, I actually, oh God, it's been years ago, seven or eight years ago, I had to go stay in his house. I wrestled, he actually put on a show where I wrestled Charlie Haas and um, I got to stay with him and hang out. Oh, as cool. far as I know, man, he's doing good. Yeah, Billy, Billy's a good dude, man. I think we're a lot of Billy. That's cool, man. Um, and, and Electra is someone else I wanted to bring up. I'm, I'm a fan of her for a couple of reasons, but um, <laughs> it was the first time I'd ever seen someone move their own boobs. It was, uh, it blew my it's mind. An amazing but... thing to watch. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was she like, uh, you know, as a person to hang out with? She looks like she could be a bit of fun. Yeah, she, she, um, she worked at a, a club up there. It was one by the boom. It's one of those clubs they, they featured on The Soprano. She was the manager of that real, That's that right. real club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Electra was awesome. She was, you know, st that straight New York accent, but she was such a sweet person and such fun to hang around with. And, you know, we're doing promos and stuff and outtakes that, you know, one of us would mess up. You know, we all we were always on each other's ass, just ribbing. And she, she got in on the fun with it as well. But she was a lot of fun to be around. Yeah, no wonder so many young males liked ECW with uh, girls like her. Around. Can't blame them, man. Get, yeah, see them <laughs> dressed like that on a nightly basis, and you got to put it past you out there and do your job. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to harp on it so much, but again, with the boobs that were moving, I'm like, I, it's a, I don't know how old I was when I first saw it, but it just was like, I had no idea that that was talent. possible. <laughs> Definitely yeah, talented. Talent. Yeah. <laughs> um so like you know your, your biggest year for ecw obviously you know 2000 is when it's all firing on all cylinders um uh, with the new dangerous alliance um being a part of of, of at that point with ecw on tnn and all that did you ever notice yourself the ecw struggles with tnn what was the backstage chatter like about that because you know uh 
that's what led to a lot of they, issues. Yeah, it, it they you know they would only promote us when we were on that, on that hour. They never would promote us, and we we were just a test run for WWE. Is all we were. Um, I wasn't on it that much. I was called the king of hardcore TV because it was like I was almost on there every week or every other week when I was with the Dangerous Alliance and doing things by myself. So I was hardly ever on the big the big show part of it. I remember them coming in and starting to get you know video and headshots of us and one of the execs there when my hell the Dudleys were still there when they started coming in and they were getting some headshots of me and I remember the executive saying man this guy looks like he belongs on tv he's got a face for tv talking about me <laughs> like okay <laughs> but you never put me on there that much but uh yeah I, we were you know they, it was not a, a love love relationship with us and tnn because they couldn't wait to get us out from under a contract because they just so they could go to wwe to see if wrestling would work so we were kind of glad to get off there i just wish we could have picked up another national syndicate other than them yeah, me too, man, because uh, uh, the company really was doing some good stuff in 2000. Um, uh, I wanted to ask about working for Paul Heyman and, you know, if you have any specific stories, maybe, you know, Paul doing the thing that he usually does where he pumps you up, you know, and he, and he gives you that pep talk, you know. Could you give me any insight on uh, Paul Heyman? The most of our pumps and pep talks for the groups was when we weren't getting paid. He would get us together, sit us all down and tell us why we're not getting paid this week. He'd come up with some bogus story and we'd all believe it. We all drank his Kool-Aid. Uh, one of them was when we were in Canada and it was our largest house show ever. Uh, he, all the money we collected, he couldn't said he couldn't give us our payback because it was the money was in Canadian. One of the times he said <sighs> one of our checks, checks the hub where our checks were in the layover in Dallas, Texas caught on fire um, and burned up all our checks. <laughs> um, as far as, as far as me, the first night I worked RVD, Tommy came up to me and said, Paul wants you to work Rob tonight. I went like, as in Van Damme. And I was still new. He goes, yeah. He said, you know, Paul thinks if you have a good match with him, you'll go far. And if you don't have, eh, well, you know, it was classic Tommy fashion. So I go out and work <laughs> RVD first time. I'm nervous as hell. We have a fantastic match. I come in the back and Paul's there and he hugs me. It's like, I knew you could pull it off. I knew you could do this. And then another one was the heat wave match in California where we opened the show. And it was me, Simon and Swinger against Danny Doran, Roadkill and Kid Cash. And right before I go out, he tells me, he says, your thing tonight is to get yourself over. I mean, my music's literally getting ready to play. And he says, it's all about you tonight. Whatever you do, get yourself over in this match. I was like, yes, sir. And he would, you know, he'd give you that pump, you know, that adrenaline to make you believe that you could freaking bite through nails almost. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well, speaking of Heatwave 2000, we ask every ECW guy who was on that show the same question uh, because eventually we want to do a compilation of, you know, 20 ECW wrestlers talk about Heatwave 2000. What are your recollections of the XPW thing and the big fight that took place in the street? Um, uh, we've had stories from Big Sal and New Jack and um, and Chili Willie. So what's your perspective and memory of that drama taking place? I remember them doing something, doing some things in the crowd to disrupt the pay-per-view. And when they kicked them out, I don't know why we rushed. I don't know if it was Paul that rushed us out there, but we all rushed out there to fight them. And I think, was it? Yeah, New Jack was in crutches. His yeah. people were crutches. Swinging. Jack Victor, I remember Jack Victor people, 
whooping some ass. I remember Chili Willie, like he was clubbing two guys at one time. I forgot who it was. I was kidding. But yeah, it was a all out brawl in the middle of the street. And I think when we got, when it was all said and done, like the cops came up at the end of it. And I want to say they got in their limousine and left was something crazy like that. Uh, and then where Paul was all high fiving us when we came back in, but I remember, man, it was an all out fucking brawl out there. And I think Steve and Jerry Lynn were going on at the time and they had gotten done because Steve bled way too much or beforehand, but he, Steve couldn't even make it out there. Uh, but I, that's what I remember, man. I remember Jack seeing Jack clubbing. I remember because Chili was beside me and he had two guys beating him. We had one, I had one over here and Chili had two. And man, I felt sorry for them because Chili was beating their ass. That's so awesome. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I kind of wish that today's technology existed back then. Cause if someone could have pulled out their phone, we would have a viral video for sure. Um, back. Then. Oh, absolutely. Somebody <laughs> would have definitely would have definitely pulled that up. I remember the LA cops coming up and, and breaking it up shit like that. Um, but that's what I remember. I remember the other thing about that paper, you other than the fight is my match going like 10 minutes too long and getting cussed out by Tommy and Paul the next week, because we <laughs> took up so much time that Tommy and Justin credible had to cut their match back. All oh, right. <laughs> um, so the next question I want to ask you is road stories, you know, traveling, this is your cherished memories in the wrestling business, traveling up and down the road with your family, essentially your second family, your ECW boys. Have you got any fun stories of, or hardships or, you know, sleeping in a weird spot? Tell me. Um, yeah, I got all of those. When I first got the ECW, I wasn't flown anywhere. I had to drive. Paul was paying me $75 a night for four nights. And if most of the time I only wrestled one of those four nights. So I was only getting paid $75 to drive to Chicago, to New York, to my uh, Fort Lauderdale, to New Orleans, places like that by myself. Um, a lot of times I slept in my car. Sometimes if Jeff Jones was gracious enough, which was rare, he would let me sleep on the floor in his hotel room, I would sleep on the floor, use my clothes as a pillow, and he would still charge me for part of the room. Um, I was, I lost $21,000 my first year in ECW right. because I was paying for everything, my own plane tickets, stuff like that. It was like uh, eight or nine months before I started getting flown. Road stories, as far as the funny stuff, um, Everybody, for most people that don't know, I have a very weak stomach. And when Tommy found that out, it was his mission to make me throw up every fucking day when we were traveling together. He, when I was wrestling him, he would, uh, one, I remember one night I hit him with a trash can, a trash can spilled everywhere, and he's rolling around selling. He picks the half eaten hot dog, scoops the mustard off the floor, and eats it. Um, <laughs> to make me throw up. Well, I can't fight you now. I'm about to throw up. So I had to leave him. Uh, he, we were in Wisconsin one night, got, they got snowed in. We came in later because of my flight rushed and he had planned a real ball day to where he had, he thought he had shit his pants. That's what he was playing off of. And he and Franny and Carino and Jack Victor, because he wrestled Carino, they come in the back and we, since we all traveled together, we kind of dressed together and I was sitting in the corner getting changed because I had wrestled right before him. And he's screaming that he's in pain. He thinks he shit his pants. He says, Brandon, you're going to have to check. And she's like, no, no, I don't want to check. And he reaches down and pulls out this brown chunk. It's okay. So I'm, I'm 
dry heaving. I'm trying to fight through it, and they're laughing, and they won't let me through, and he takes a bite of it. Lou takes a bite out of it. <laughs> I'm throwing up. I run to the bathroom to throw up. Lou had made some fake vomit in a can. He's acting like he's throwing up. And what Tommy had done is before he came in, he shoved the brownie down his ass. So that's what it was, was a brownie. Um, we were traveling one time and Franny and Tommy are behind us and uh, Lou and Jack and Steve and I in the car in front of him. And Lou had taken peanut butter and M&Ms and shoved them down his ass and pulls them out and shows me and starts eating it. Well, I'm, start, I'm throwing up in the car trying I stick my head out the window and everybody always says I have a big head Tommy calls us calls Jack ahead and says please tell CW to get his head back in the car the wind direction is blowing my car all over the road <laughs> uh, <laughs> new, <laughs> new Jack and I are really close uh and so one night New Jack gets hurt and he can't drive he has a Mitsubishi Eclipse so they tell me hey Jack is hurt he can't drive do you want to drive him to the next town we're in missouri when the next town was st louis i'm like yeah sure i'll, I'll take him it's one or two o'clock in the morning man we're coming through missouri and there's nothing but fucking cornfields and it's flat land for miles off in the distance i see a burning cross and i'm not talking about a little cross i'm talking like a 20 foot high cross burning and new jack's passed out he had had he was on pain pills or something to kill the pain and i like punch him slap him i said jack what do you think about this and Jack kind of wakes up and looks at that cross and like slaps me and goes, keep driving, CW, keep driving. <laughs> and passes back out. <laughs> oh, my God. I think that... the, 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 the funniest one, and this is the last one, is the one I tell a lot when New Jack is, I wrestle one night, my back's out. Uh, I wrestled Raven for like 15 minutes, and I had to, New Jack's going to do a run-in, and he's going to beat up the Dangerous Alliance, which pretty much ended up just beating up me. Bill didn't get in, Lou didn't get in, they ended up beating up me. So I wrestled Raven for 15, did a 10-minute thing with New Jack. But, you know, you always saw New Jack do the staple gun. And when Jack liked you, he would take the staples out. So it was just kind of a gimmick, you know. You just got thumped and there was nothing there. And you sold it or cut yourself. When he wrestled like Vic Grimes, who he hated, he would always put staples in it and hit Vic Grimes with it. So he wrestled Vic Grimes the night before, and he and I are going over our stuff. And I see him. He takes out the staples, shakes them out, puts it back. And uh, he says, all right, we're good. I go out, wrestle with my back out. My back was out, but the adrenaline kicked in, so I didn't feel anything afterwards. Jack comes in, we do our spot. I remember he lays me down. Instead of hitting something between my legs, he takes a staple gun and puts it on the head of my dick. And when he hits it, somehow one staple was jammed. It was one of those inch and a half staples was jammed up against the plunger, and it comes out. So I have a staple. I got stapled in the head of my dick from one of those staples. <laughs> so I I knew it was going to hurt from just the, the plunger but when I look down and see that staple it's a, and it's, it's a pain you can't I can't even describe so I'm screaming in excruciating pain and he's you know Jack the music's playing Jack's dancing around he's waiting for me to get up and I'm taking longer than normal and he, he's like see dub get up man next spot get up see dub next spot I look up I said Jack you have stapled my dick I said <laughs> I cannot move he looks down and he goes oh my god and he starts laughing <laughs> He's trying to contain it from laughing. He lays down beside me like he's selling, but he's laughing his ass off. He said, stop, you're making me laugh. I said, I'm in so much fucking pain right now. And I remember having to pull it out, and he rolls me outside and pile drives me from the apron through a table on the floor, and we finished the match. But that was probably now it, it's laughable, but holy hell that night. That was some, that was some pain. He said, look, I saw him not too long ago. He's like, I'm sorry, C-Dub. He's still <laughs> apologizing. It's been 20 years. <laughs> That's brilliant, man. Um, oh, my God. I can't even imagine. Like, who would have thought that would happen? Uh, 
So again, another question you've probably been asked a million times, but got to talk about it. The I quit match at guilty as charged. It goes down as your finest. As far as I'm concerned, what a battle with Tommy. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. You know, it seems like you're on the rise, probably not even realizing ECW will be gone soon. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. That's just uh, an incredible night at the office. It was, it was, um, I knew after this, after this match, I was getting my contract. I was signing a contract in the next pay-per-view, which was living dangerously. I was getting the television title. Right. I was going to fight Nova for it. Um, oh, wow. January 7th, 2001, my 30th birthday is when the I quit match happened. Uh, Tommy wanted to do an I quit match. He wanted to do it with me. I remember Jerry Lynn and Justin telling me how hard an I quit match was to do. And they hoped I pulled a good one off. Tommy tells me beforehand, because we didn't really start going over the match till the show started. He says, if we have a really good match, I'm going to shake your hand. Uh, if not, then, you know, we'll just take it as is. And I was starting to get over with the ECW fans just for the fact of my work. You know, I've wrestled matches, wrestled with Super Crazy and get done. And they start, they chant, when Crazy would leave, I stand in the middle of the ring. And they chant, see fucking dub, see fucking dub. Uh, that was a chant I was starting to get, even though I was a heel. Yeah. Um, the match goes off without a hitch. Um, I remember there was a couple of improvised spots in there with one being the cookie sheet to Talboy's head. I was just supposed to stand up and hit him, but when I still remember the day rolling, as I'm rolling, I see him the cookie sheet out of the corner of my eye and just instinct took over, hit him. I got a huge pop for that. I will say, even though I love Talboy, he was probably one of the heaviest people I've ever had to vertical suplex. Because uh, <laughs> if you go back and watch, you see me struggling to get his ass up, and he's tiny. Um, the match is over. Tommy shakes my hand. He leaves. I'm standing in the middle of the ring, and here we are in the Hammerstein Ballroom, sold out. 3,000 people stand on their feet and start chanting, see fucking dub. I'm walking to the back, and I'm looking around. And, you know, when you watch the replay of it, if you listen, you can hear them chant that. Um, when they were doing the replay of my match. I walked through the curtain. Balls Mahoney is the first pre- person to greet me, and Balls and I were close. And he's like, I still see him clapping like this. And he goes, that's one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. He, like, hugs me and kisses me on the cheek. He's like, well done, CW. And I'm getting high fives from everybody after that. But no idea that the company is going to close down. But, you know, we're t- here we are 20 years later still talking about this match. And yeah. Again, it's, it's it's my breakout match, and it's the one that I was most known for, and still most known for. And it's kind of disheartened knowing all the things that were supposed to happen in the next few weeks and the next pay per view. And it's kind of like you're shown the brass ring, and it's snatched away from you. Yeah, I totally know what you're talking about there. When when we interviewed Alan Funk, uh, he was just starting to finally get on pay per view at WCW, and then it's taken away from him right at the end there. And uh, then next thing you know, he's in WWE developmental starting from scratch and, you know, devastating for him. So I could see a parallel there for sure. Um, And January 7th, right? So six days later, we're in Pine Bluff uh, and you're facing Jack Victory uh, 20 years and four days ago. Um, The final ECW event. Bro. Uh, can you tell me about your day that day from start to finish? And, and when did you know that it was all over? Um, you know, the week before, after the I quit match, Lodi and I traveled up to Ohio and did a show and I threw my back out. My back was out during those matches. 
And that's why I got to wrestle Jack in those hardcore matches because I couldn't really wrestle because I was in so much pain. Uh, of course, Jack was a close friend of mine, still is to this day. There was little swirls going around, rumors of that this was going to be it. We had no idea. Really, really had no idea. We went out and celebrated with the fans. We were never told that ECW was done. It wasn't till Paul shows up on Raw with Jim Ross in the commentary that I was like, I'll sit there and see it and I go, holy shit, we're finished. Because, you know, on the ride, the ride back to the hotel that night, everybody was depressed and I keep thinking to myself and as a, you know, man, this can't be it. This is, this is ECW. ECW can't go out of business. This is ECW. And and lo and behold, it was, it was a lot of people didn't come in for that show because we were, they weren't getting paid. Um, so they didn't show up. Um, I remember Karina was one of them. He didn't show up. RV, I don't think RVD showed up, but it was a, a, it was a very depressing in that back that night. Cause like I was still in denial. I was one of the ones that was in denial. The other ones weren't. So it was a very, it was literally, if, if you could say like some, one of the top, your top person there died that you were close to, that was the feeling the locker room was right. Nobody was talking. Nobody was laughing. Nobody was, it was, it wasn't anything. It was a very disheartening show. Wow. Um, yeah, that's just so, that's upsetting, you know, and, and to think, you know, it was like, when did ECW start? Eastern Championship Wrestling, I guess it was like 92. So mm-hmm. nine years and it was only just on network television or whatever you want to call it, TNN. You know, it was, ju- it, you guys were right there and you were right there. And it's, uh, yeah, I can totally understand how disheartening that is. And um, I guess once the show was over, when was the confirmation there? Was it when Paul showed up on Monday Night Raw? Yeah, that was that was our knowing because, like I said, he he never he was never man enough to tell us. Never, he took a coward's way out and did it like that. Took care of a few people. The rest of us were left flailing in the wind. Um, you could deal with things a lot better if your company, if you're man enough to stand in front of everybody and say, we're done. He never did that. He left Tommy holding the bag on a lot of stuff. A lot of shows, he wasn't even there near the end. Tommy was running them. Yeah. Uh, when they say Tommy is the heart and soul of ECW, he was, still is, because he was running the, the shows night in, night out, while Paul was off doing God knows what. You know, Paul kept telling us, I'm out in L.A. trying to save you when the rumor was he was out there filming the movie Rollerball. All right. And so, he was telling everyone he was meeting with USA Network or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was that's the shit he was telling us. So shit. who knows? He was he's a he's a known liar. He's been known as that for God knows how long. So, you know, it, it's to to a point where everybody says you're bitter over I'm not bitter. Just be man enough to tell us. Be a yeah. man. No. Tell us we're done. You know, if you're gonna you. fire us, be a man enough to fire us. If we're be be that man, but don't take the coward's way out and yeah. lie about it. I agree, man. Um so uh, again, when I watched your interview with Tommy, uh, you had mentioned you went through several months of feeling quite depressed about things. Um, but I, I, through my research, I did find a few highlights here during that time. One was you working with a young John Cena uh, at UPW on March 14th, 2001. Any memories of working with uh, the prototype that night? Yeah, you know, uh, I had a couple of my buddies pick me up at the airport. They, they run a TV show out, a local TV show out there, and a pot. They was, you know, they were doing podcasts back then. Um, one of them was his name's Brett Wagner. He runs as the Big Swag. You've probably seen him on the uh, 
the uh, race, not the racing channel, Fuel Network or something along. I think it's called that. He's on there. Uh, another buddy of mine is that calls himself Joe Schmo. Uh, so anyway, they were riding me around and they were telling me like John's really looking forward to wrestling with you. He's such a huge fan. So we pull up at a gas station. I forgot for what reason, but we pull up. I get out and John's in a jeep. He's getting back in a jeep and he sees me get out of the car and legitimately runs up to me and introduces himself. Says he's so looking forward to the night, man. It's such an honor. Uh, that night we wrestle. It's like, whatever you want to do, CW. He wanted to take my vertical superplex, but, you know, John's a thick individual. It was hard <laughs> to try and do that on him. But uh, really respectful, really worked his ass off. You could see the potential in him. Never knew it was going to get to what it did. I mean, he just blew up, and I was so happy for him because he's one of the good guys that respects, earned it, and wasn't an asshole like some of them you run into. Yeah. Awesome, man. I just, when I saw that, I was like, no way. Like at that yeah. point in time, yeah. he, he worked with Cena. Um, again, three, uh, three months after the final ECW show, you're in Salisbury, Maryland, and you work with Dusty Rhodes. You end up wrestling a match against him. For you, that must just be uh, absolutely massive. Do you have any stories of working yeah. with Dusty? Uh, you know, Dusty, since I grew up in the NWA area, area, and that's what got my love for wrestling, seeing Dusty. Meeting him was an honor, but actually getting the ring with him was just on a whole nother level. I used to wrestle for his TCW promotion down in Georgia. And I think one of the first times I wrestled him, we were in a bull rope match and we're hooking up and he's doing classic Dusty stuff. And I'm trying to be this badass Anderson. And I remember when they're lashing us up. I'm badass C.W. Anderson on the in outside, but on the inside, I'm 12-year-old Chris Wright going, holy shit, I'm in the ring with Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. That's the whole thing. And I rem remember the very, you know, I'm wrestling and we're going over or in the match and he's bumping me around. He's like, all right, C.W., take the heat, hit me with the cowbell. So I load up and I smack him with the cowbell and I smoke his ass with it. <laughs> and he goes down and he goes, God damn, C.W. Oh, never hit me this hard. <laughs> so the rest of the match, I'm like apologizing to him for it. But I got really close to Dusty. He got close to Dustin as well. Um, but, man, it hurt me when we lost him. But wrestling yeah. Dusty was so, so easy and so much fun. And, again, it's something you can never take away from it. I got in the ring with somebody like Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, no, I remember the day that he passed away. I was going to be wrestling on a show and we completely changed the name of the show from whatever it was to The Dream. Um, so, yeah, massive respect to him. And I just thought it was really cool because he didn't really wrestle that much back then, you know, not all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's just a, an amazing thing for you to tick off your bucket list to work with him. But speaking of turnbuckle championship wrestling, you, you work with Barry Windham on the 25th of August, 2001. Here we go. Here comes another one uh, for you. That's a, that's another big opportunity. Tell me yeah. about, uh, you know, your times with Barry. Working with, working with Barry again, another legend, another guy I grew up watching and then get in the ring with him and wrestling him. And I remember, Lodi was sitting in the back when I, we were done wrestling and he comes, Barry comes through the back, Dusty and Lodi are sitting and Dusty goes, how was it? And he goes, it was fucking good. He said, he worked my arm. He said, he's so easy. So he put me over with that. And then, you know, one night Dusty sets us down. He sits me and Carino and Barry down and he says, I got an idea. I want you guys thinking about forming a faction with you and calling you the extreme horseman. Yeah. Uh, and he said, Barry, you know, you came from the full horseman CW, you and Steve came from the extreme and 
he come up with the idea, you know, that night we formed it. We're somewhere in Georgia. Down, I mean, way down south near the Florida line. And it was a really old school crowd that believed it. And we handcuffed Dustin to the ring. <sighs> Steve and I did because we, we wrestled Dusty and Dustin. We handcuffed Dustin to the, to the ropes. We were beating up Barry. Fans came in. We're trying to come in. I remember kicking this woman in the face, getting her out of the ring. <laughs> By that time, Barry, he, excuse me, he sends some young boys to the ring. And I, I wish they've, I know they got video of it somewhere, but like three or four guys slide in. And I remember hitting one with the chair, pie facing him, and it's spinning off his head and hitting another kid in the back of the head that was sliding in. So I like took out two and one. That was really cool. And then Barry slides <laughs> in to make the save. Steve and I powder. We're screaming at Barry. He's helping Dusty up. And when he does that, he turns and cracks Dusty with the chair. You, you could have sucked the wind out of that place, man. And they didn't believe it. We jumped back in and start beating them up again. The crowd attacks the ring. They're having the security and stuff is having to get us to the back. I remember one security guard getting in Barry's face and the security guard was in on the rib. I mean, in on the thing because he helped set up the ring. And Barry headbutts him in the nose because the guy was in Barry's face. Barry headbutted him in the nose and broke his nose. And Barry looks at us and goes, I bet he won't do that again. <laughs> shit. shit. What a way for the extreme horseman to... Uh, I to, know, right? It to, was crazy. <laughs> uh, before we dive into some extreme horseman talk, um, I want to ask you if you were privy to the WWE's failed invasion angle and what you thought of what they did, because we like to ask everyone on the show. Uh, about that. No, not for that for that invasion angle. No, I wasn't a part of anything until you know they asked me to Dreamer calls and asked me to be a part of it. Yeah, so you weren't interested in watching any of it and what was going on. I wouldn't be either because it was a very big disappointment for me. And uh, strike Typical. one out of three, which ended up making me not watch WWE anymore. Um, so the Extreme Horsemen. Uh, we're, we're talking a little bit about. I want to move into a major league wrestling MLW with Court Bauer. Uh, for me at the time, I was, I guess, 15 years old or something like that. Uh, so it was incredibly frustrating for me that I had no access to seeing any of this. All I had was what uh, reading results online. Mm -hmm. um, but I was so uh, interested and excited to see some of this stuff. Years later, I managed to find um, all the um, shows and uh, watch some of it, but um you got the extreme horse and horseman, uh, you, uh, Carino, Simon Diamond, and uh, PJ. Uh, tell me a little bit about that working with Dr. Death, Steve Williams, working with Barry Windham as well, a little bit here and there. You know, how did you feel things were growing with MLW during those times? Man, I, I thought we were doing quite well. I think one of Court's biggest, biggest faults in that and his downfall was having to fly everybody to Florida. Most of the guys lived up north and then flying everybody to Florida, and then you had a few that you were flying from Japan. I think that ended up catching him in the long run. Uh, you know, Court gave us, Steve and Simon and I, complete control over what we were doing. It let us do whatever we want to do. You know, any ideas we had, we pitched it. And then getting to work with Dr. Death, Steve Williams. I, my first memory of working with Dr. Death, Steve pumped me and Simon up to a point where he kept saying, you know, Dr. Death brings it in there because, you know, of all the stuff you've seen him do in Japan, you see CW know what it's like in Japan. Um, so if you don't bring it to Dr. Death, he's going to, you know, bring it back and hurt you. Yeah. So Simon and I go in there and start wearing Dr. D's ass, his ass out. We were beating the <laughs> shit out of him. And then we were starting getting punches back and we're barely feeling them. <laughs> and I remember him coming in the back going, holy shit, Karina, what is wrong with your boys? They beat my ass. It was like just a big rib on 
me and Simon. Uh, but we're, you know, Barry being in the horseman, I can't remember who I, whose idea it was for PJ to be a part of us. We had thought, talk, Steve and I talked about it for a while, and I, I, it was mentioned in conversation to bring him in for the War Games thing. Uh, but, you know, you know, PJ fit right in because just incredible. He's just an amazing worker as well. Uh, the whole MLW vibe, and I remember Raven saying that it, with the extreme horsemen on top, we will never draw. Raven didn't think we were that type that we could draw. So when every show the MLW ran in Florida, we were running ECW buildings and outdrawing what ECW drew right. time, with us on top. So, yeah. uh, and then, you know, we got to work with Dusty, of course, and Terry Funk, who Steve and I are oh, legitimately scared of. Yes, legitimately scared of Terry. Love him to death, scared of him. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, MLW was a really, really fun time. Yeah, it's such a shame, man, because like I, I, I kind of feel like this could have been that next kind of uh, step in the story for ECW, even though it's got different initials. It felt kind of the same way from what I mm-hmm. watched uh, when I finally managed to get my hands on the footage. Yeah, it was. Um, so, yeah. So, as you said, uh, it caught up with court with um, flying people in and I guess uh, the money wasn't there for it to continue. Uh, how did you find out now that all of a sudden MLW was going to work out? Uh, we were doing a show, another show down there. And I remember it was another huge, I think we were in going to somewhere in Orlando and I think Steve called me and told me that, you know, we're not running the show. We're pretty much done. The court's closing it up. He just can't afford to do it anymore. I was yeah, it was, that was another disheartening blow because, again, it's something we were having fun. We were having a blast spending weekends down there in Florida. And, damn, it's just another shot taken away from us. Yeah. I would have rather MLW be like the cockroach of pro wrestling that keeps surviving other than uh, rather than TNA. Um, which yeah. Got, you know, they're, they're cool, but, like, I just – I would have rather that vision of MLW have continued on. Um, it was a hybrid, man. It was, it was, it was ahead, ahead of its time with the hybrid stuff, different styles being classed together like that. Yeah. It was really cool. Um, so the 6th of December, 2004, you work a dark match against Chris Masters on heat. And uh, on the 7th of December, 2004, you work velocity against uh, Spike Dudley. Um how did this opportunity come about? Are they taking a look at you to see if they can, you know, potentially bring you in? How did the opportunity come about to do these matches on uh, with WWE? You know, I don't remember. I don't remember how I got to do the, those matches. I don't. Uh, I didn't know who I was working. Um, I just come there to do, you know, just do a little bit of work, get a payday, and then, you know, this is before Chris. Chris hadn't even come up with his master lock finish. And he finished me with it like a, some kind of suplex. They were trying to come over, come up with something for him. Uh, my match about that, for my memories of that is afterwards, I come in the back and like Chris Benoit grabbed me and looks at me and goes, CW, dude, you're a fucking hell of a talent. Uh, and, you know, I'm always humble, introvert. I'm having, I said, thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. He's like, no, dude. He says, you're fucking awesome. He said, I've heard about your name from ECW. Never got to watch you work. He says, why the fuck don't you have a job here? He's like, you're awesome. I mean, he just kept on to the point where I was like, okay, I got it. And then by that time, Shane Helms come up. Now, a backstory with Hurricane and, and I, Hurricane and I, Shane, he was best friends with my brother growing up. So I got to see oh. Shane. Basically, grew up with Shane. So I knew, I've known Shane pretty much his entire life. So Shane and I were really close. And he looked, Benoit looked at Shane and goes, man, you ever seen CW work? And Shane goes, I've known CW my entire life. We're really close. 
and they just kept back and forth. And he said, yeah, Shane goes, yeah, he's got that Joey Matthews disease. Well, hell of a talent, but just can't catch a break. This right. is before Joey Matthews became Joey Mercury. Yeah. Um, the next night when, you know, I'm standing around waiting and Spike walks up to me and goes, it's me and you tonight. I went, shit, cool. Yeah. Um, we go over the, we do the match and my memories of that was, you know, I, had, I told Arn, I said, Arn, can you please let me be an, they were going to call me Chris Wright. I said, can I please be C.W. Anderson tonight? He goes, absolutely. I don't know why they wouldn't do that to begin with. Yeah. Um, so I remember in, in the matches on YouTube, I super kick Spike and he kicks out and Lodi, who was there as well, he had wrestled before me. He says that the boys were watching it being Kurt Angle and Triple H. And he said they, it brought them up out of their seat. Really? And, yeah, because I watched that yeah, match and, earlier today, and that was a great kick, man. <laughs> he said that, uh, and when that happened and Spike kicked out, Arn got on me afterwards because he tells me, he says, nobody should ever kick out of that super kick. He goes, that's one of the best I've ever seen. He said, if I would have been on the headset that night or been on the headset then, he said, I would have told Spike to stay down. He said, nobody should ever kick out of that. He yeah. said, it's that good. And he said, you need to come up with a way of using it so you don't have to pin somebody. He said, if you do use it, they need not kick out. Right. So um, was there feedback? Was there a reason why you didn't end up getting hired at that point? None. But the whole thing, the whole time, it's been, it's been the same story from Impact or TNA and from WWE as one. Uh, from WWE's version at the time, I'm not tall enough and I'm not I'm not a, buff, a bodybuilder. At the time, I didn't look at you. Know, I'm 240, 250 pounds. I'm not right. in the best shape. I can still wrestle my ass off. And when I did the dark match at TNA, and it was myself and Chaz Taylor against Shark Boy, and I really can't remember the guy's name he tagged against. And I remember it was a dark match, and at, by the end of the night, I'm standing beside Vince Russo and, and Jeff Jarrett, and Vince Russo looks at Jeff and goes, how does CW come in this and have a dark match and steal the show, have the best match tonight? And Jeff goes, because he's a hell of a damn talent. Yeah. And Jerry Lynn told me later, he said that Dutch didn't want to hire me. Dutch Mantel didn't want to hire me because I didn't look like I, was, I wasn't in shape. Really? And Terry Taylor's response. Yes. Yeah. Terry Taylor's response was, he looks like a fucking man. That's his response. He can still, he can out wrestle most people and he looks like a fucking man. Uh, so I got in really good shape around that time. I was motivated to do that. And I go back and by that time, Scott Demore was running things and uh he said that they didn't really have anything for me i said i'm in shape scott you know here i am this is what y'all wanted i'm in shape what now and he's they didn't really have anything for me right. so that's kind of been my tell for some reason man people they, they just said it's my look i don't i don't know for sure right and uh just uh for those playing at home it was d-ray 3000 which was shark boys tag team that's what, okay yeah um you're right so i want to talk about one night stand uh, next, uh, the first one, obviously. Um, this for for me, this is the most interesting question to ask you because I don't know the answer to this, but I, I want to know about um, you know, did Tommy contact you about it? Were you initially going to be on the show? You ended up being in the crowd, I believe. Um, tell me about your memories of that night, and because uh, for me, it was as authentic for ECW as you could possibly get, aside from the stupid thing that they did with the invaders coming in. Um, yeah, but what are your memories yeah, of that you night? And if you, how was if that? You could have left the. I got you. If you could have left them out of that, it would have been fantastic. It'd have been a fantastic show. Um, I was supposed to wrestle Simon uh, no, Swinger, and I were supposed to wrestle Danny and Roadkill like first or second match. 
you know, as the show, as they're getting prepared for the show, Rimmer comes out and says it's cut. And he said, but CW, you're going to do a dark match. I'm like, okay. A few minutes later, Screamer comes out and says, your dark match is cut. Vince don't want any show matches before the go live. He doesn't want to kill the crowd. He doesn't want the pop to be gone. Well, obviously, cool. Vince has never paid attention because it doesn't matter. You do a dark match, that when that music goes off, the people are still going to pop. You're yep. still going to get that electric atmosphere. Yeah. So Tommy told me, he says, like, we really ain't got anything for you tonight. You know, we can, you can do the, the fight at the end. And if you want to sit back there until then, it's fine. If you want to sit out in this uh, crowd and watch the show, you're more than welcome to. So I sat out there with Chetty and Electra and watched the show. I got to take that chair home that everybody paid for. I sold it on eBay. <laughs> but that was pretty much it. Yeah, but it, that was about the closest thing you could get except from that invasion angle. Right. Yeah, the, rest of, the rest of it, when the guys wrestle each other. I remember Benoit and Guerrero wrestling each other. And I can't remember, I think Benoit – no, I'm sorry. Guerrero wasn't at his best that night, and when they went dark, Benoit was screaming at him afterwards in the mat, in the standing in the ring. That's about right. that's what I remember that. Yeah. Wow. Um, but like, it really was a special show. But I believe the very it wasn't the very next night. It was either the night I can't remember if it was the night before or the very next night. But Hardcore Homecoming. Um, you the night on, before. It was the night before. Uh, so mm-hmm. you work on that show. Um, you know. That's in the ECW or the old ECW arena. You know, how did that experience uh, feel for you? Did that feel authentic to you? Did it feel right? Oh, absolutely. It was, you know, you had your entire ECW family there. The crowd hadn't, that arena hadn't seen ECW shows since whenever it was the last one there. And I remember I was tagging with Simon against uh, Chetty and Mikey Whipwreck and Simon and I were the first ones through the curtain and I wouldn't, I've never experienced an adrenaline rush like that. Simon and I get in the ring and Mikey and uh, Chetty just got in the ring and Simon looks at me and goes, we can take it home now. It don't get any hotter than this. Not only was it hot in that building, I mean, the crowd was hot, but the building was like 110, 120 degrees. Uh, but that experience, overall experience was something, I mean, I remember going in the back and I'm not a big drinker, but Simon and I sat on the back and drank a few beers to calm ourselves down too because our adrenaline was literally you could feel it in your throat it was right, that electrifying wow. yeah i know all about that kind of adrenaline rush it's uh mm-hmm. there's nothing like it um but that's really cool man like uh it, it felt like for me personally those two shows every other reunion show i'd seen after that it didn't have the same feel to it because it was like the first ones that and and i wanted to know you know uh that that's such a great weekend for ECW. You miss ECW, you miss that feeling. How did it feel to have that feeling again of, of, of at least being able to feel it one more time? You're something that never lasts long enough. It's like Christmas. You mm-hmm. look forward to it all year and then in a blink of an eye, it's gone. Yeah. You know, we did, we did an ECW weekend last year for last 2019 or 2018 for WrestleCade, which draws like 10,000 people over in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and seeing all the ECW guys, you know, every time we get back together, it's like we don't miss a beat. Yeah. I look forward to those weekends. I look forward to the uh, conventions and stuff where I get to see them um, because we still draw. You know, fans are still – I can't get in the ring. What was it? February of last year, I did an I Quit match with George South for AML. Shane Douglas was the referee, and when I got in the ring, it was just me and Shane – and they started chanting ECW, ECW, 20 years, man. People are still chanting that. And yeah. seeing those guys on those weekends is pretty freaking special. 
Um, it's one we always say this at the end of it. We wish we had it every weekend again. We're so depressed because it's that I attribute to, you know, going through some therapy. Um, my therapist says it's like being that high as being at the top of the roller coaster. And at the end of the weekend, when you have to go home and be normal again, you're at the bottom of the roller coaster. Yeah. So those weekends, man, the end of it, you're definitely at the bottom of the roller coaster because it's depressing that you're, you're not going to get the same guy again for who knows when. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that whole uh, Christmas uh, thing because Christmas this year, I was so excited for Christmas. And then when it gets to like 11 p.m., I'm like, oh, no, it's, it's almost over. Damn it. Yeah, it's how I'm, I'm a big kid. And, you know, I was so excited because I, uh, I had, a, you know, a new girlfriend. Uh, and she, it was her first Christmas with my family. And it was my first Christmas, you know, being divorced from the anchor I was attached to. And, having a newfound life, so to speak. So I was looking, so, I was so looking forward to the holidays. And then, you know, for me, you have Christmas then you have new years. And then the very next week is my birthday. So it's three weeks in a row that <laughs> something's going on. So when, you know, January 8th, 9th rolls around, I'm sitting around here like, shit, I don't really have much to look forward to. now. <laughs> so <laughs> in a ways I'm kind of glad because I'm like, I, at least I ain't going to eat myself into a coma like I've done for the past three weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, there's probably not many people that could say that they completely understand where you're coming from with that because my birthday was three days ago. So right, I know, what it's belated, like. so you know, thank you. Yes. You have that Christmas, you have that new year, you have your birthday. You're like, okay, well, damn, what's next? Uh, and you know, this one was a big one for me. This was the big five Oh, big five. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was enough. And my, you know, I asked my girlfriend to marry me the next, let's see, my birthday's on the seventh. I asked her on the eighth to marry me while we were away on the beach when some of my friends come and hung out. Um, so it was a very special weekend for me and she went above and beyond, man. If you could see my Instagram or hers, the, the stuff she did for me for my 50th birthday was I can't imagine another woman doing that for me. It was, it was a very special weekend. That's brilliant, bro. I'm really happy for you. And you know Thank what? You. You're drinking from the fountain of youth, bro, because I think you look younger now than you did in 2001. <laughs> That's what I get told, man. That's like Tommy told me, he said, how do you keep getting younger? I, I have all my wrestling friends around here, they call me Benjamin Button because it's like the older I get, the younger I look. You know, I'm in the best shape I've been and God knows since way before ECW. I'm lighter than I've ever been. Um, I feel fantastic. So as long as I keep going, Hey, I'm, I'm happy with it. I got a little bit of gray. You know, the thing with my gray right here is I never had gray hair until I got liver failure in 2005. And it was yeah. such a shock to my system that my beard turned gray because of the, the stress that I was in. Yeah. So. Crazy stuff, bro. Um, so talking about crazy stuff, let's talk about WWECW. I know that it, this is, probably a sore spot for a lot of people. This was strike three. So you remember when I mentioned the invasion angle strike one, I'm a big NWO fan when they screwed that up within four months, that was strike two. When they screwed this up strike through, I never really watched it again. I only watch WrestleMania with my friends because it's a tradition, even though it's, it's just not the same. I get it. Um, mm-hmm. But when this was happening as a fan, I was so excited. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to see the shows hitting all the, the towns again, the ECW arena, the Hammerstein ballroom, all the places that you remember ECW being a part of, but then it just ends up like being recorded before SmackDown and uh, slowly, but surely it just starts molding into like just a third WWE brand instead of being authentic ECW, because obviously the company can't help, but, 
put their hands in it and interfere and not just let Paul and Tommy do what they've got to do. Um, right. So uh, when did you get the phone call that, uh, you know, that you were going to be hired to be a part of this? It was, um, I think it started in May or something. I got it a, a few months before and phone, phone rings and it's Tommy. I was, you know, he goes, look, he says, um, Vince wants to hire you. I went, shut up. Mm-hmm. Like, no, he don't. I said, why, why are you ribbing me? He's like, no, seriously. He says, we're bringing back ECW. Uh, Paul and I have complete control. We get to hire about 10 or 11 guys. You're one of them. <laughs> we're going to pick our feud back up. You're going to be in one of our top heels again. It's going to be like, we just, picked up from where we left off right that'd be awesome he said the yeah. he said are you interested in signing and i went i don't got to go to ovw he went nope i said paul and i said and vince has no control in this he goes no he said we're going to run the small arenas like we used to oh, uh, we're going to say yeah that's what the plan was run the small arenas you keep you know vince is going to keep running the bigger ones we're going to run the small ones and it's going to be like it was before we got complete control i said well i trust you you know, as long as you guys got control, I'm in. So I signed on the bare minimum, which was shit money. Um, and, you know, once you're there a year, you get all the residuals from being at house shows, pay-per-views, TV tapings, things like that. So you have to – that's why guys make the most because at the end of the year, you get that bonus check. Um, so I signed. Uh, very first show was at the ECW Arena. I got to work Sabu. And wow. we had a really, we had a really, really good match. And at the end of the night – I think Vince saw the tape that night or the next day and completely took it over. He didn't like the way the lighting was, the way that it looked on TV, and he put his hands in it. And from there, it was downhill. It was shit afterwards. Fucking hell, man. Like, it's just so irritating to me because the initial idea is perfect. It works. That's what made ECW work. You work all those same towns. You do the same loop. You keep it the energy and the atmosphere, the way that it was in those smaller arenas, that's what made ECW what it was having ECW yep. on before SmackDown. It just, that it, it killed the vibe as far as I was concerned. Yeah. And, and uh, I, you know, I want to bring this up. You, you work 12 matches in the company in total from my research, nine live events, two dark matches and one TV match with CM Punk. Um, and what ECW was great with was uh, making new stars. So, you'd have some of those old ECW guys there, but then you have these new guys come in and the CM Punk totally fits in with the vibe. But one thing that annoys me so much is that it's, it's such a WWE thing. It is such a WWE thing. You're called Christopher W. Anderson. And I'm assuming it's because there's another guy with two initials at the start of his name that has the letter C in it. So they're like, well, yep. we, we can't possibly have two guys with a with that kind of name because that would be confusing for our audience. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. I'd be uh, fine with it. It yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't be confused about you and CM Punk. You look very different. So yeah. How did you find yeah, out yeah. about this whole Christopher W. Anderson thing? Uh backstage one night, Paul tells me. And you know, he, that's the reason he changed Shane Helm's name to Gregory because of Shane McMahon. It doesn't make any sense. Paul tells me, he goes, Vince wants to change your name. I said, why? He says, well, you got the initial CW and the CM Punk. He might get you guys confused. The fans might get y'all confused. I said, yeah, I can see that. You know, I'm bald. Punk has hair. Uh, Punk wears a uh, trunks. I wear a singlet. He's got tattoos. I don't have any tattoos. He's slim and in shape. And, you know, I'm kind of a little out of shape. Got a stomach on me. Yeah, I can personally see where Vince would see how people would get that screwed up. Yeah, he goes, well, it's not only that, you know, um, he goes, uh, you know, would you have an initial CW? He might think you guys, you were working for the CW Network. 
I said, you're fucking kidding me, right? I said, That's moronic. I said, I said, how stupid do you think it, these people are? Um, I said, look, I'm the one that came up with CW. I said, the very first time they promoted the CW network and TV guy, because I had a friend that worked with TV guide and he, he told me and showed it. The very first promo picture they put up with TV guide was two actors, two A-list actors. One person was doing this. The other person was doing that. I'm the one that came up with this. Yeah. Uh, so that they, they, they might've got it from me. I mean, you just never know. Uh, but it doesn't make any sense. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. I said, you know what? I don't even care anymore. I said, I don't want to be here. Um, I said, let him change it or whatever, just long as I can keep my CW. So he changed me to Christopher W. And it was uh, whatever. I was, I was so glad to get fired. I was so glad to get fired from that company. Yeah, I can imagine, bro, because like, it just seemed like within just within a few weeks of seeing it on television, I was like, okay, it's just going to be another brand that's the same as the other shit that I don't like it, it, anyway. So thanks a yeah. lot for getting my hopes up and, you know, just seeing Christopher W. Anderson, that was an Alan Coffin for me. I was like, yep, they've got their hands in it now and I'm not interested 100, anymore. 100%. I think, you know, I, I talked to I talked to Shane Helms that, uh, right before it started and he goes, I hope they don't bring it back to bury it because that we were getting so much steam from all the internet traffic and, you know, TV tr or the tape trades and stuff. We were such a hot commodity because fans were finally starting to get around to seeing it and seeing how good we were. Uh, he said, I hope he ain't bringing it back to bury it. And that's pretty much what he tried to do. Yeah. And, you know, Joey Styles is no longer the commentator and it just snowballs into just being this piece of shit product and, Anyway, let's get away from that disappointment, you know, but I, yeah. I, I, you know, it was important for me to hear about your experience doing that. Um, and I want to just fast forward to 2011 because I thought that this was an interesting uh, match that you had. It was Perry Satin's first match back after all those years that he had been completely missing at um, AWE Night of the Legends. Um Tell me a little bit about that experience, you know, working with Perry. I don't know what Perry was feeling on the night, but, you know, first match in so long. Can you tell me about that experience? Because I've watched the match, I think, two or three times over the years because a uh, big Perry Satin fan. Yeah, I, I was too. And, you know, Perry clubbed me like a seal that night. It was funny. <laughs> he had just come <laughs> back and he hadn't found his punch and stuff yet. Uh, so he, he was he was putting him in there and he was – which was fine. You know, it was, it was all good. I, I love that. I got to work with Perry and Perry said, please take care. I mean, I haven't worked in so many years and um, he was a little winded in it and they were telling us to stretch it out, stretch it out. I'm like, Jesus. Okay. Uh, how the hell do you, we stretch this out. Um, I remember it was like ripping my hamstring in the super kick. Um, and th that whole pay-per-view was a cluster and um, it was, but working with Perry, man, again, it's an honor that I got to wrestle with Perry because of who he was in his business and, you know, the, the troubles he went through and seeing him fight himself back and being getting in a position to be in the ring again. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It wasn't it, it wasn't the, the classic five star match that Perry had or that I would have, but it, it, it was what it was. I wish I could have gotten to wrestle him a lot more once he got more ring shape, because there's a difference than being in shape and being in ring shape. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I did enjoy working with Perry that night. That's cool, bro. Uh, we're getting to the tail end here. Um, yeah. And uh, another one I wanted to bring up was Extreme Reunion. Uh, 
working with Al Snow that night. Obviously, that night did not go very well uh, for a lot of a plethora of reasons. Um, but when you find out, you no, know, Shane is is doing this thing and he's got a bunch of people with him working on this. You know, are you hopeful that this is going to lead to something? Uh, and and tell me about your experience that night and the turmoil that was taking place backstage. Um. Shane had tried with hardcore homecoming and, and failed with it. And then the extreme, you know, I wasn't expecting much. Right. Come out. It was a show. If, you know, if you have more shows, great. If you don't, it, it is what it is. I know they were having a lot of issues. Um, I don't, Alan, I didn't have the best match. I was looking forward to working with him, but he and he and I, our match wasn't that good. Um, our chemistry or something just didn't click that night with us for some reason. Uh, I don't know. It was, I don't know if he didn't want to work. I don't know what it, I don't know what was going on with it that night, but it just wasn't. I didn't feel like Al was Al was there that night. And I don't know if he was had something else going on. But I've always looked forward to wrestling with Al. Uh, it just he and I didn't click that night. And you have you have those matches where you know one night you you shit the bed and the other night you steal the show. Yeah. So we just didn't have we haven't had our steal the show night. Um, so I can't remember really. I, I remember a while somebody told me what was going on in the back, but. Right now, I can't recall. I just know that, God knows, I remember Balls and New Jack getting in a fight, and mm. just, it, it was a chaos back there. The whole night was nothing but chaos, and nothing was done after that. Yeah, it I think just, uh, I think was, that something happened. Just Incredible was passed out, or something. I don't know. There was, and, yeah, uh, you know, Sabu that was, yeah. Be on the just show Incredible, either. Sabu. Yeah, yeah, Just Incredible, Sabu wanted to. When you were on the shows with him, one, I was going to be passed out at that time. Gosh. Um, so you, you do work a few more shows for when they turn it into Extreme Rising. Extreme Rising ends up just uh, uh, dying on the ass, unfortunately. But that was like a hope that I had again. I was watching all the shows. At that yeah. point, I was able to access them quite easily, unlike MLW. But um, it, uh, it goes away. Um, I wanted to fast forward many years later to NWA Power and you getting to be a part of that. A lot of my friends, especially guys that uh, work on the same network that I do on our YouTube channel, big fans of NWA Power. How did that opportunity come about, and and what were your interactions with Billy Corgan like? Um, I'm just so happy that he's you know he's jumped in and he's done this and brought back the NWA. Yeah, yeah I hope he still brings it back once this, this COVID crap goes away. Um, I, I messaged Billy. I reached out to him through Instagram because I, I knew Billy from ECW when he come in and hang out with us and stuff. And then he was really close to Louis. So, uh, you know, in some ways we stay in contact with Billy here and there, but I just messaged him and said, you know, if you look, if a spot opens up for me, I said, I don't look, look like what I did in ECW, man. I'm in really good shape now. I see my picture. He's like, man, you look amazing. And then, you know, he, he reaches out and says, can you make these dates? And I, I end up going and sitting down and talking to him. And um, I loved the locker room. It was one of the closest things I've gotten to the ECW locker room. You know, being around those guys was from Homicide, Trevor Murdoch, Crimson, Simon Diamond, uh, a bunch of those guys, seeing a lot of new guys there. And, you know, I've wrestled quite a, a few matches for them. I think I've done three or four for them, you know, uh, tagging with um, Caleb Conley one night against a couple of my friends, the Dawsons. And then I was in a scramble with uh, Colt Cabana and Ken Anderson, guys like that, and the Dawsons as well. Um, then I wrestled Ziggy Dice and Sal the very first, and I have a hard time. I love you, Sal, but I have a hard time pronouncing your last name. <laughs> uh, wrestling that little three-man match, 
which was which was okay. Um, that match was was all right. The finish, I was I was facing one way, and Ziggy wouldn't throw me the way so I was facing. He was trying to turn me a certain way, and it kind of got screwed up. But uh, I love backstage. I love the atmosphere. I love that whole studio vibe because grew up in NWA and watching that. Uh, seeing the studio stuff and it recreated again. Plus, it's the NWA and and Anderson's there. It just kind of fits. So, you know, everybody's positive back there. Everybody, you know, nobody's trying to stab you in the back like you working for those other promotions. Yeah. It's kind of like ECW. Everybody's seeing you, wants to see you do do well. If you have a good match and you're coming back, everybody's high fiving you. Yeah. Uh, my last match there was with Caleb Conley and uh, against the Dawsons and. Uh, Billy put it in my hands to come up with. Crimson was our agent, but he said he wanted an ECW style match. He said CW, you control it. So we got we got done with it. Billy hugged me. He's like, that's exactly what I wanted. So uh, I, I do hope Billy brings it back because I love to be a part of it. Yeah, me too, man. And, and I want you to be a part of. It. I want to see you have the opportunity to do some more things. You know, in a prominent wrestling company like the NWA, um, because it's just important. And and it, and. It, makes me excited to see some of these guys that don't get hired by AEW or impact or, or the WWE have the opportunity to work there. Like, and, and I want to just put this out there. I want to see Lodi, Lenny Lane and Alan Funk. The three of them want to have one last run together. I want to see them somewhere and NWA power will be perfect for them. Uh, I've interviewed yeah. all three of them and I just want them to have that opportunity because, you know, I don't know what other companies are, are going to be like as it pertains to hiring three former WCW guys who haven't been on television in, you know, 20 years. And they still, they still look amazing. Oh, they look better than they did before. I mean, every time I, I look at Lodi's posts, he's jacked to the gills. I and- know, right? Yeah, I always tell us I hate you because you look so freaking good. <laughs> he's a few months older than I am. I'm like, he's ridiculous. <laughs> But anyway, I wanted to put that out there because I just think it's important that a lot of these guys get that last run and NWA power. I hope Billy brings it back. Um, we interviewed Tim Storm uh, a couple months ago and he's love hopeful him, too. Man. So what yeah, a wonderful man. Him, what a wonderful man. Yes. Um, so uh, this all starts to happen, but then something happens with you. And I remember talking to, I was talking to Angel from the Dabaldi's uh, on Messenger. We had interviewed him as well when your retirement post came out and I had watched the video and I felt quite sad seeing you obviously very upset in a lot of pain. Um, can you please tell me a bit about what made you want to retire at that point and uh, what's led you to changing your mind? I was in a very dark place in my life. Um, it was a, uh, a failed marriage that was taking the, was sucking the life out of me. And when you find out the truth of what your partner's really doing behind your back, it really takes a toll on you. And the whole time they've been wanting me, she'd been wanting me to retire, wanting me to retire. And I was trying to make her happy. And I thought well, I was done in wrestling. Cause I hadn't, I really hadn't had fun for a while because of his reasons retired. Nothing's still not, nothing's changed. Um, realizing that you, you it wasn't just that. It was just so many, a few other reasons. And man, I was in a very dark place, you know, wasn't, didn't even want to go on with life anymore. Um, had a, a preacher reach out to me that night when he saw my video. And I, I can't tell you the number of people that messaged me. is like, man, what is going on? You are, this is not you. We don't know why you're retiring. You're in the prime of your life. You look better than ever you did before. You know, you're making people. I've had people's wives that didn't even know who I was 
stumble across it and they were like crying watching it. They're like, what's going on? It's like, this guy's just posted something and they're like, holy shit, that's C.W. Anderson. Um, kind of got my life turned around after that. Realized that some things are just meant to go away. Yeah. Uh, wrestling, wrestling is not one of them. And when you see people, karma come, karma is going to get everybody. And um, I ran back into just the woman I'm with now. God put, I guess I'm pretty, I know God put us back together. I turned my life over to him. And you know, whether you believe in God or not, you know, it's, it's your own thing. I don't preach on anybody. I don't push it on anybody. I just know what has worked for me and what's changed my life. And it made me a better person. It's made me per- somebody that my family wants to be around again because I had become C.W. Anderson because I really didn't know who Chris Wright was anymore. Mm. So, you know, even when I posted that video, I, I was on a walking trail where I walked my rot- walk my Rottweilers and I collapsed crying. As soon as I cut it off, I collapsed crying and people were coming, man, you okay? You're all right. And, you know, people don't understand, you know, so through months of prayer and letting go of things and moving on with my life. And they always say when one door closes, another door opens. Well, when that one door closed, I nailed it shut and, shut and burnt the fucking house down. That it was in, um, never to re- revisit it again. Um, I realized how much I miss professional wrestling. 27 years. It was me. That's what I had something to look forward to. And it's not like you're looking forward to it. Like it used to be because that was my, thing was to go travel on the weekends to go and entertain fans to be a part of a you know a locker room and have fun um that's the things i missed and i realized that you know even Lodi, Lodi didn't believe me angel didn't believe me um so around november i got to talking uh to my girlfriend i was like i want to come back you know she used to valet me she's like if you want to do it i'll be right there in your corner supporting you she's like just make sure this is what you want to do and it is I love Good. professional wrestling. It's the one thing that I want to give back as long as I still can. I don't want to be that wrestler who can't go anymore and is shitting on the business by being in the ring. That's not me. I am in better shape, move faster than what I did at ECW. Um, and I still have a lot to give for this band. As long as I can still do it, I'm going to do it. And, you know, whether people stay in my life or go, my faith, I don't look horizontally anymore for my answers. I look vertically and I'm a happier man. So I want to be happy in professional wrestling. And, you know, I got so many, like 20 some thousand messages from fans all over the world, wishing me a happy future endeavor. Congratulations on a great career. We hate to see you go. And man, I can't thank everyone enough to reached out to me. And I don't want to be this person that keeps going back, leaving stuff like that. But I want to be back in this business because this is where I feel happy and I belong here. So that one part of my life is over with. Thank God I don't have to live in it anymore. And I'm so looking forward to my future, my future life with who I have in it and, and who's going to be coming in it. That's brilliant, bro. I, and we know what, when I saw the video, I was like, no, this isn't his, this is at the end. He, he will be back. He's, I could tell you yeah. going through some tough times and now like you've been rejuvenated. Now you've been yeah. reborn. Now I can, something. you know, you can't see the forest for the trees. And once I get away and you can see what really the truth is. And it's a damn shame. People stoop to certain levels that they do yeah. uh, to lie to you um, and keep stuff from you. But in there, people are going to be made out. They're going to make themselves out. there like the victim, but most people know. 
that you're a lying sack of shit just like everybody else that's it um so now you're you're back uh what else do you hope to accomplish with what time you have left hopefully covid can piss off soon and we can get back to business what else do you hope to accomplish in the wrestling business um give back as much as i can while i'm in it to get back on tv somehow um and 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 being able to produce i love i want to get back to traveling again back on tv man love giving backs go back to doing seminars i've done a few lately and enjoy doing them um and just enjoy every day in this business as much as i can because i don't want to look back 10 15 years from now Say, man, I wish I'd have did that. I wish I'd have done this when I'm not going to be able to. I'm able to, and I want to, and I can still go at a high level. Um, so whenever I get a chance to be back on TV, I'm ready. Awesome, Brian. You know what? Um, if, if, that, if that day never comes and I don't get back on TV, it is what it is. I'm just going to enjoy being back in the ring and going to the you know independence like I, like I was doing before. Yeah, cool, man. Um, is there someone out there that you wish you, have, you could have the chance to work with now that you're back someone you haven't worked with before i mean the ones i wanted to don't really don't wrestle much anymore which was benoit <laughs> angle uh let's see uh you know what tim storm yeah and cool, nick Adams. yeah I those think two they'd both want to work with you that's for sure i can i can see yeah, that working I, those out quite two. well yeah I, I both want to be in the ring with them excellent bro um so last question before I get to my segment called five second frenzy, which is a bunch of quick fire questions to learn about other things that you like in life. Do you have any regrets? Um, not being one, not being in, in better shape during my time from ECW and stuff like that. I might could have gone further. <sighs> not, not signing the baseball contract and, and, and not listening to my mom. You know, I wouldn't never, I don't think I'd ever been C.W. Anderson, um, but I wish I'd have played play professional baseball. And then I think the, the big, one of the biggest things I regret is retiring over this past summer. Again, it, it was something that wasn't worth it. And, but hell, that's in my past now. You just learn from it and move on. Awesome, bro. Uh, so before I get to five second frenzy, I want you to have the chance to plug anything that you're doing, anything you've got lined up. Tell everyone out there where they can find you and uh, what's going on. Thank you, everybody. One for the ones that are watching this, that are going to watch this. Thank you for always being a fan, whether you love me or hating me. Everybody keep your name, your hands off of C-Dub. Uh, my social media, everything's at ECW Anderson. You can, you can find me there and message me. Usually it might take me a couple hours to get back to you, depending on what I got going on, but I always get back to everybody. So thank you, everybody, from the bottom of my heart. Um, and hopefully 2021 is a very bright year for C.W. Anderson. Yep, awesome, bro. And... Um... You're a man of your word, bro. I had messaged you, I don't know, maybe it was November, asking to interview you. You said, get with me after the new year. I'm sure it was like January 1st. And I was like, hey, man, are you keen for this interview? And here we are tonight. So yep. thank you so much. Like, I've loved this story. This has been one of my favorite interviews. I knew I knew I would love it. I knew I'd love it because you're, you. you're a down-to-earth human being. And and uh, so I appreciate it, bro. Um very, very much. So oh, you're certainly welcome. I'm glad to do it. Um, so here's five second frenzy. Five seconds. You have five seconds to answer each question. Even if you break the five seconds, it's okay. Most wrestlers can't answer questions in five seconds, but uh, <laughs> it's just to get to know some things that you like in life. So are you ready? Yes. 
Okay. Five second frenzy. C.W. Anderson, your favorite wrestler. Uh, Bobby Eaton. Nice. Arn Anderson. Two of them there. Tip for tat. Yeah. All, all you and those two, hell of a hand, hell, hell of a punch. Um, I think Bobby Eaton might have the best punch in the business. <laughs> I've always idolized Bobby. <laughs> uh, favorite yeah. opponent over the years? Tommy Dreamer, Jerry Lynn, Steve Carino, Masada Tanaka. Awesome, man. Awesome. Masada's amazing. Another guy yeah. drinking from the Fountain of Youth. Uh, your favorite match you've ever been in? I know the answer already. Yeah, one's my I quit. The second one is I had a TV, uh, match with Masada Tanaka uh, where I got knocked out, split my hand open, and had 5,000 people in Japan on their feet. Awesome, bro. Awesome. Uh, your favorite book? Uh, da Vinci Code. Very nice. Uh, favorite TV show? Uh, Transformers. The cartoon, as far as the actual TV show, probably Night Court. Nice. I I, I used to have the Transformers VHS back when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, Favorite film? Gladiator. Brilliant. Uh, Your favorite musical artist? Uh, Eminem. Eminem, Tupac, and Linkin Park. Awesome, bro. Awesome. I got to see Eminem finally last year. He's one of my favorites, too. Uh, Your favorite food? Pizza. Yeah, we get that a lot. Pizza and steak yeah. is quite popular on this show. Uh, your favorite uh, place. Red to... meat, so... <laughs> oh, right. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, your favorite place to eat on the road? Uh, Chick fil A or um, as far as a restaurant, probably. Uh, shit, I'm drawing a blank. It's called Small Batch in Winston Salem. Okay. Small yeah. Batch in Winston Salem. Shout out to them. Uh, yep. Third last one, I, you said you're not much of a drinker, but your favorite alcoholic beverage is this question. Oh, God. Uh, if I had to pick one, if, um, it'd be like a Smirnoff, Smirnoff ice or something like that. I don't like beer. I'm kind of a little more of the fruity drinker. If you go to whiskey, it used to be Fireball. Ah, oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Fireball's fantastic. Um, second last one's a naughty one, CW. It's your favorite female body part. F. <laughs> 100. Nothing yeah. else. I don't give a damn about boobs. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and the last one, CW, you seem like you don't uh, curse too much, but your favorite curse word? Uh, probably shit or in, in Japanese, kuso. That's the Japanese <laughs> cuss word, kuso. I say that a lot so people don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, bro. Well, C.W. Anderson, I want to thank you so much for your time with me here. Uh, it's one thirty in the morning here right now, but I'm so like excited and jacked up right now that I don't know when I'm going to go to bed. But uh, I really <laughs> you, appreciate bro. your time, man. Like it's been for me as like such a massive fan of yours to actually have the chance to talk to you about your whole career and find all the ins and outs. Like with the Tommy Dreamer interview, I didn't watch all of it because I'm like, no, 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 I'm saving it for the interview. I want to learn this the first time from his mouth to me. So again, bro, yeah. you should be so proud of everything you accomplished. Maybe you didn't hit the WrestleMania main event or any of that crap, but it doesn't matter. Like you, you, you've, you've made an impact on someone that lives in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia. So I, I thank you. 
No, you're certainly working. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, sir. And uh, thank you to everyone who watched here on the WCWA Network podcast. I'm talking to or have spoke to my friend, C.W. Anderson, and we will see you next time. Thank you.